I have zero anxiety. Um, I am Chris, I'm an alcoholic. Chris! All right, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, thanks, Monica, for inviting me. Um, it's always an honor to like speak at an AA meeting and uh, even more so when a friend and a great person like Monica invites you to do so. Uh, thanks to Drew for opening up. Could have mailed that in. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like this is like a situation where like you're Nickelback and thanking you two for opening up a show. Like, you know, <laughs> thanks, man. By the way, I took notes um, because I haven't done this affording a, a, a lengthy share in about two decades. So I'm a little rusty. Um, so buckle up. Um, um, before going forward, um, some disclaimers. <laughs> um, I fully intend to, to deliver the best messages I can during this time. However, there's some newcomers in general or to this meeting itself. For those individuals, I'm just gonna ask you, please keep coming back, regardless of whatever I'm gonna say up there. Um, let the myriad of voices at the countless number of meetings that are available in the Orange County area uh, inform you about what this program is all about. Unless I'm awesome and then discredit me. Um, I would also say that um, while you're doing that if, for the newcomers in general, look around and watch the miracles happen. You know, a lot of times I'm focusing on so much of myself, but if I'm looking outside of what's going on in this program, miracles happen in these uh, in this uh, around us almost daily, if not daily. And uh, it's fun to watch that. And if you're one of those people struggling, realize you're just one of those people that the miracle is about to happen. Just keep plugging away. I know it sounds trite, but um, I've experienced miracles in this program for myself. And if I can, you can. Um, okay, lastly, um, hold on a second. Uh, for newcomers, get a big book, um, read it, get a sponsor and help you like go through it. But why, the reason I'm bringing this up is that from a solution standpoint, you ain't gonna get anything original from me. Honestly, uh, there's nothing that I'm going to say up here from that standpoint that's going to be any more profound or well said that, that's, that's in here. And uh, pretty much any heights that I've ever achieved is because I stood on the shoulders of giants. And uh, they're all available to you here. And um, I guarantee it'll be better than whatever I'm going to ramble about for, what, four hours? Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, so with that, a little bit about me. Okay, I was born on Christmas Day, 1973. Yes, my birthday is on Christmas. Um, so I was on this planet for eight seconds and I already have a resentment. <laughs> Still working on that one, by the way. Um, okay, so uh, about my childhood, or just, I'm just gonna just size up. I, you know, birth to 17 real quick. Um, as far as like me and relating to other people, um, for most of my life, I always thought like hell is other people. Um, I never really felt like a part of. Um, I, maybe it's because I like where I lived and there were no kids literally my age anywhere within blocks of me. And then if you go a little bit further, those kids went to public school. I went to a Catholic school. Um, and even when I was in school, I was a chameleon. You stole that. Um, <laughs> in the sense that I would always mix up with different types of people, but I would always play a role 
You know, I would just kind of fit in and try to just be part of, but never really authentically myself ever. Um, I didn't want to be myself because if you knew me, you'd hate me. Um, as far as God went, again, I went to Catholic school. So my perception of God at the time was, well, Catholic school, they tend to talk about sin a lot. And um, at least, and, and, and it was usually coming from the mouths of nuns who were just super nice. And, uh, you know, I just equated God to being vengeful and religion was a grade. I wanted to do well in school so I can get out of that school and go somewhere else. Um, but I didn't really have a strong connection with God, despite that was a, a purpose my parents sent me to a Catholic school for. I keep on reminding them it was a college prep school. Um, as far as my family dynamics, that's where it gets fun. Um, my parents did love me and they did the best they could. Um, with that said, my home life was generally stressful and dysfunctional. Uh, honestly, if it wasn't for TV, I don't think I would know that you can actually resolve conflict without three days of constant screaming at each other because that was how it was living in my house. Um, and that fighting, and that type of anger that goes on in a household like that, that leads to emotional and physical abuse. And I've had that. Um, the core of that, um, a lot of that fighting was because of alcohol. Um, in my family, it, drinking was prevalent. It was a daily thing. And, um, and the problems became pretty much every other day because of it. Um, it was for that reason, I didn't want to touch alcohol at all. I was so scared of it. You know, I had many opportunities to drink when you're in early high school or even in grammar school. And uh, I'm like, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need that. Mike, uh, like Drew, I didn't want people to know what was going on in my house. I had to keep that a secret. And I just said like, nah, I just, I've already had too much. Um, and I stayed that way for, for a while. However, the overall state that I was living in all those years can be summed up again as anxiety, not fitting in, and a propensity to isolate, you know, because if there's no one around me, they, no one can harm me. And that's kind of like a mantra I live by. Um, so through high school, again, declined drinking for a while. Um, fast forward, junior year, it's springtime, warm weather. Um, I just quit the football team. Um, I got injured, but more importantly, I was horrible at the sport and um, didn't enjoy it whatsoever. Um, but I decided to like, I really wanted to go into music. This is what every father wants to hear, by the way. <laughs> um, so, it, in, in, so it's spring and it's a night where my high school band, which was like the talk of the towns, multiple towns were interested in us. <laughs> And they were all going to come out to see a show at a Knights of Columbus place. And uh, we sold tickets. 175 people actually bought tickets to see this high school band play. And we had just finished off a two-hour show filled with original music. Thank you. <laughs> and, and Rush cover tunes. And, uh, and I'm a bass player. Now, as all women know, after a show, they all want the bass player. So, so, you know, I'm heading backstage and I'm just triumphant. 
And that whole notion, I'm not going to drink ever, goes away simply because someone threw me a beer. And girls were there, and they saw me catch it. <laughs> what am I going to do? Can't let them down. So I just, I just chugged it. I literally just chugged that first beer. And, um, and I was like, okay. I was like, that's weird. I put it down. And five minutes later, I was like, that's why people drank. Oh, I get it. And I love that feeling because that anxiety, that not fitting in, that isolation went away, was gone. And then there were, hey, ladies. <laughs> so from that point, every time, I pretty much, I'm just going to sum up my next seven years of drinking real quick because it's really boring. Honestly, my story is boring because all I did is focus on drinking and I did just that. Go to a party, girls over here, kegs over here, I'm by the keg. You know, is there something stupid to be done because I've had too much to drink? Sure, I'll join you. Let me do that because I just want to do something wild and crazy. Join a frat. Oh, it's great about brotherhood. I'm going to give crap. Do you have beer? The cops come here? No. I'll join your frat. I'm all about brotherhood. Um, I was just there to drink. My, I, that was it. And, and, I need to, and I worked hard so I could validate drinking, you know, until I stopped working hard at it because that was getting in the way of drinking. By the time I was done college, it was bad. It was already at the point where like, you know, when drinking was fun, it stopped being fun. And I, again, stop, I had to start isolating again. So I'm going backwards. The reason I have to isolate is no one drank like me. Like, it's hard to like find people who are like semi-cool hey, want to wake up and have four shots of vodka with me? Because that's what I'm all about today. Hey, you want to get in my car as I drink to go to work? How about while I'm at work, I'm going to be sipping out of a Poland spring. By the way, that's a water type in the East. I think you guys use Arrowhead around here. I'd fill that up with vodka and I would drink that literally at my desk while working, you know, working throughout the day. And then I would go home and finally I got the drink. And that was my life for about a year and a half after college. Um, life became bleak. Life became really dark. You know, that, that fact that I was not fitting in, now I'm like a straight up like alien. And I, no one knew I drank. That's the other thing, I had to hide it. To the point, crazy, true fact, um, drinking Popov, which is just such a delicious vodka. <laughs> I bought it for two reasons. It's cheap, but also comes in plastic bottles. That means it doesn't clang all around in your bag when you're trying to hide it from everyone else. I went one further because I would wipe the bottles down when I would dump them in the garbage can because I thought there was like some CSI unit looking to find out who is drinking all this vodka in this town. Okay, so back to the misery. <laughs> okay, so it's August 4th, 1998. Um, I got to the point where I could not possibly think of living a life without drinking. I couldn't think of a life while of drinking anymore. And no matter how much I drank, I never felt good. The anxiety was still back. Everything was full bore. And I was just drinking constantly and just miserable. My trajectory of my life is going down the crapper. By the way, I haven't sworn yet. <laughs> um, and 
<laughs> this is rough. I'm from New Jersey. It's my the it's the language of my people. <laughs> um, so okay, uh, it's August fourth, and I was supposed to pick up my father and get home, and I just just drive off to this place called the Palisades Cliffs. It's very picturesque, but overlooking the Hudson. There's so much rich history there. It's also where you can jump and kill yourself. And that's what I was there to do. You know, and like I'm sitting in my car and I just chugging vodka, chugging it. I usually always chased it. This time I wasn't just chugging from a Popov plastic bottle. I think I was squeezing it too a little bit. And, and I get this knock at the window and there's this officer, a state officer goes, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm drinking. A doy. And I roll up the window. He goes, roll down the window. He goes, it's middle of the day. You're in a state park and you're drinking open, open container in your car. I'm like, a doy. Again, I'm an alcoholic. That's what I do. I swear this is all written down. And I roll up the window again. And he goes, roll down that window and don't ever roll it up again. You also have your keys in your ignition it's time for you to do a sobriety test. I'm like, I got one test you can do. Take the gun out and shoot me in the head. That's what I asked him. And I was so serious. Um, I don't really know if I wanted to kill myself that day. I've always had this suicidal idealization thing going on. However, I just didn't want to be. If I were to die, I wouldn't care. But I didn't want to kill myself. And uh it's hard for me to think that I was totally suicidal because again, the reason I was in my car is because it was super hot out and I put the AC on full blast. <laughs> How many suicidal people care about like, you know, climate control? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now, now the jig is up and now I have to go home and explain to the people that knew me, my family that I've been drinking sloshed every time they've seen me for the last two years. And I'm also going to be facing a DUI. I'm still going to have like financial problems. I'm worried about maybe I'll lose my job. And just all the good fun stuff that comes, you know, cash and prizes. <laughs> and I, I detox for two days and by myself because I didn't know any better. They're like Maybe I should have sought help. I didn't know. And I had a horrible detoxing situation. Went to my first AA meeting. And they asked me, why are you here? It took them five minutes to realize I fit because I was a lot younger than most of these guys. And then they said, what do you want from this? And I said, I want my hands to stop shaking. That's it. I want to stop throwing up blood in the morning. Everything else besides that will be gravy. And I, I, I threw myself into the program. I did desperation is a gift. And I had that, you know? So I did everything they told me to do. And I followed the one mantra, this older guy who had 20 something years at the time. And this is his words. He goes, hey, you seem like a really cool guy. He was right. I am so cool. <laughs> but he said, you know, I, want, I, I really want you to like really get this thing. And we're willing to help you. Just do me the favor. I'm like, yeah, what do, what do, what do you need? What do you need? He goes, just don't waste my fucking time. And I was like, well, damn, dude. <laughs> I won't call you her Tom. And, and I didn't waste fucking time. I did what they told me to do. Threw myself completely into program, went to meetings every day, multiple times a day. Did that for seven years. I mean, I, was th I threw myself into every commitment you could find. I was involved in general services. I was involved in setting up like those conventions that we have, doing the full bore. And life started getting interesting because while that was happening, 
I was getting promoted. I got a girlfriend, boy meets girl on AA campus. Um, you know, I started making some money. I, I got my first car of my own, Infinity G35. I'm looking fucking suave now. Uh, and you know, I swore, darn. Uh, and then, uh, but it occurred to me, I also started hating all of you guys <laughs> because you were taking all my time off because I really wanted to get rich and I wanted to have all the fun and all that, and like going to meetings and doing GSR stuff and all this stuff. And now I get this promotion that wants me to be like this guy at a job. How do I do all these things and stay with AA? Something's got to go. AA went. <laughs> and I also, so I wrote a list. What am I going to do? I'm going to keep the big book on my, on my, uh, bedside table i'm going to read it every day and i'm going to be a good husband and i'm going to be traveling the world i'm going to make a lot of money blur, 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 blur. okay let's move 15 years in the future <laughs> it's august and i'm sorry it's june 20 no 17 june 17th of 2022 no 21 damn um get a note from my now ex-wife um, telling me that she needs some time off from me. And, um, you know, she had relapsed a couple months later. I'm, I'm now dealing with insomnia. I'm dealing with uh, migraines. And it was a little difficult to be around. Um, how do I sum this up? All right. You know, when I read the big book these days, by the way, I didn't relapse, but I was out of my mind. Um, there's a passage in the big book. I'm going to read this one to you guys, but I'm going to paraphrase it because what I do when I read the big book these days, I find my experience tells me if you start reading a passage about what the horrible horrors of internally, what alcohol does to your life, all I got to do is remove alcohol or drinking with when I'm in self-will. And it makes 100% accurate sense to me. And since the people in AA wrote this way back when and somehow was looking at my life in the future, they have a passage, it's on page 151. And I'm gonna use a little poetic license. <clears throat> in those last days, the old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could I recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as I once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some miracle of control would enable me to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. The less people tolerated me and I them, the more I withdrew from society, from life itself. As I became a subject of my own self-will, a denizen of this mad realm, this chilling vapor that the loneliness settled down. It thickened, ever becoming blacker. At times, hoping to find understanding companionship and approval would come about, and it did, but it would fade away quickly and then awakening to the face of the four horsemen. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Any alcoholic that spent any time significantly outside this program, didn't drink, is gonna to relate to this. I only read this to you guys so you don't do what I did because you don't need to go through that. Um, yeah, I experienced all that firsthand. You know, I was in a world of self-pity, dishonesty, self-will, self-seeking, and fear. I drove everything away from me. When my ex left me, I knew no one in the state of California. Literally had no one in my life. I knew three cats. And 
and when I passed out from an anxiety attack and I woke up to them, I'm pretty sure they were willing to eat me. <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is, and I believe this, you know, this disease will kill you and you don't even have to pick up a drink if you don't work this program. You know, that's where I was. So what are you going to do at that point? I was again, when I woke up with the cats looking at me, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. Again, the idealization of killing myself. I, I stand up and I look around the kitchen and I'm looking for the knives. And my wife had stolen the knives. <laughs> they, were, they were really good knives. They were like Japanese knives, you know, like they were gifts and all that. So I understand why she took them. I was like, oh, isn't that sweet? She doesn't want me to hurt myself. Turns out <laughs> the cheap knives were still left in the drawer behind her. She just wanted the good stuff. Um, I really, I didn't want to kill myself again. What I did, wanted to do is to end my life. And then it occurred to me, I could do that. I just don't need to kill myself to do that. I, I've done it before. You can end your life and start a new life, a new here. And I just needed to get back in here and start doing the work again. So I did that. I put my tail between my legs and I crawled back into these rooms, triumphant on another winning streak. Um, and I decided to work these 12 steps with a few. And I'm going to just share some of my takeaways uh, over the last two years. If it's all right. How am I on time? I have no idea. You actually have more than. All right. This is going to be fun. All right. We've got 17 minutes. I'm going to start like really riffing. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. First off, this is not an a la carte program, <laughs> all right? I, I, I've always resisted this higher power thing because that would mean I'm not it. I always like gave that lip service. You know, you ever like the Our Father, that will be done. I, I've always read that like as if I'm giving approval. <laughs> that will be done. Only because I'm saying so. <laughs> It's insane, but it's true. Like, that's how I've always perceived it. Like, hey, God, I'm going to let you have this one. All right. <laughs> so I, I got myself a sponsor and I found that sponsor by, you know, honestly, it was a pretty grueling interview process uh, <laughs> because I wanted to find someone who worked it by the big book. I've had some sponsors in the past and I love them and they did some great things for me, but I want someone who did it by the book. You know, I wanted someone who's like, you know, spiritually aligned, someone like completely not like me. So I asked those questions. I'm like, and I, his name is Dominic. I met him at the NOI meeting, which is my home group in San Clemente. And he actually approached me. He goes, hey, you looking for a sponsor? And he goes, I got 20 something years. And I'm like, how many 20 something? He goes, like, he goes, well, I have 20 years. I'm like, well, I got 22, buddy. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, how, how is that working out for you? I'm like, I'm listening. <laughs> and I asked him, I asked him like, hey, okay, do you do it by the book? Like, do you like, you really follow me? He sent me a 95 page syllabus of all the things he's going to work through with me. Syllabus of the things he's going to work through with me by the big book. And I'm like, all right, good answer. I go, next, next question. Are you like spiritually aligned? He starts speaking of his religious uh, beliefs, but he goes, you know, at the end of the day, I want to be aligned to God every day. It's the most important thing in my life. And that was like telling me like, I want to walk on Jupiter. So I'm like, that sounds good. You passed test two. And then I asked him, okay, tough guy. Um, 
how do you use a how do you use this to have a meaningful relationship? I knew I had him there. I mean, like, you know, this, and he goes, well, you know, me and my wife, she's not in the program. We do a 10th step with each other every day, you know, and like, make sure that nothing really like small becomes a large situation because we have dialogue about any type of tension we might have. I'm like, where the hell was this guy? Like, you know, like <laughs> years prior, because again, my parents fought all the time. And by the end of my marriage, that's how I started communicating by just screaming everything. Anyhow, he said, well, it might be a good idea for you to get a refresher on the 12 steps. I thought that was a very kind way of saying, God, you're out of your mind. <laughs> all right, so the first step, uh, these are the takeaways. First word, we. Um, again, didn't know anyone in California. So I've taken the isolationism to a height that I think the Unabomber would be like, hey, <laughs> hang out with some people, dude. <laughs> like, you know, like that's how bad it was. Like, you know, I went to a meeting and someone goes, hey, we're gonna go out to dinner in Lisa Viejo. And I'm at the Canyon Club. And I'm like, where's that? <laughs> They're like, it's town over. I'm like, oh, they didn't know. And like, I had no idea what Orange County was because I never spent any time with anyone around here. Um, we is important because it, 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 it helps me realize I'm not unique and I need other people to bounce things past. I cannot do this solo. Uh, and I like to think I can. To this day, I still do a lot of independent study and reading and all that jazz, but if it's not helping me, I'm not actually communicating with people I care about and that they're actually guiding me along the way, period. How emphatic was I just then? <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, that we part means I need God. And that leads us to the second step. Um, but I, before I go there, unmanageability. Um, alcoholism isn't relegated to just drinking. You know, I, I, I've I think I've given you guys two stories. One of like brought me in the rooms, another one that brought me back. You notice they're pretty much parallels. And I hadn't had a drink, but at the same time, my life was completely unmanageable because I tried to control everything. I didn't rely on any, anything besides myself. And then when you try to do that, you try to control others. And they're just not a big fan of that. I don't like being controlled and I don't want, any, I don't want to control anyone else. And it's just an epiphany. And it's one of those, like, you think I'll be smart enough to figure that one out, but it took me 20 something years to figure that one out. So again, read the big book. It helps you out, just follow what they say. Um, second step. There's a second step prayer. God, I'm standing at the turning point right now. Give me a protection and care as I abandon myself to you and give up my old ways and my old ideas just for today. The key takeaways for me that is old ideas and old ways, specifically old ideas. You can't learn anything new if you continue to grasp and hold on to things that are untrue just because you've held on to them for the longest amount of time. The amount of things that I've had to put down on paper that I believe were true, that I had to cross off, after like a full year of coming back to this program, it's a lengthy list. And the number one thing I had to get rid of is that God hated me. Again, vengeful God, all sinful, sinful, sinful stuff. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, God's kept me alive all this time. My own actions wanted me dead. If I, if I got what I wanted, I would have killed myself twice. So clearly there's something working outside of me that's keeping me around. So... Honestly, it was, it was at a point before I came into the program, and I told this story a few times, 
this is how, just so you know how crazy you can be in without drinking, without this program. I remembered walk, screaming in my apartment, God bleeping hates me. The cause for it was because the Netflix was out. <laughs> See, God was so concerned about Chris and Irvine watching, like, you know, like Tiger, what was it? What is that show with the Tigers? I don't know. Well, it's some dumbass show. And like, that's how important I thought I was. That's how mania works. Third step. All right, let's move on to that one. Um, turn my will and my life. This again was for early on. I was like, I turned my will and life over to God because I'm not drinking. Shazam, look how awesome I am. You know, I might be miserable, but I'm not drinking. So I've clearly worked that step, you know? <laughs> I think I've illustrated, I did not do that. <laughs> Fourth and fifth step, okay. All right, by the time I got back, I had a few resentments <laughs> sprinkled here and there. Um, the, the book says the number one offender, it destroys most, um, most of us more than anything else is resentment. Uh, there's another book I brought illustrations um there's <laughs> a spirituality of imperfection it's a uh, uh disapproved literature um but it also speaks to resentments in the following ways um <clears throat> resentment is the poison to spiritual life it goes further by describing resentments as fe feeling backwards a reliving of past transgressions and pain a clinging to the past Resentment goes over and over in old injury, revisiting their, that person to their powerlessness, the rage, the fear, the feeling of being wronged, scraping the scab off the wound and reinforcing the vision of us as being the victim. I perfected this. <laughs> you know, I, when I read those words and read the big book and realizing that like, I didn't, if, I, if I didn't deal with the fact that like, as soon as my ex left me, if I started focusing on anything about what she did, I was going to be done. So I just focused immediately on what I had to do to fix me. And that was a saving grace. Um, I also don't feel like wanting being a victim, you know, especially when I'm the one victimizing myself. Because if I look at any resentment, I only have to look at myself and see what role I played. And I play a role every now and then on these. <laughs> the other thing is the exact nature of our wrongs. Um, you know, for me, I had to like do that fear inventory. Never did one, honestly. I've, I've worked with the steps before, but my I've ever had a sponsor had me work the, those wrongs. Uh, I'm sorry, those 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 fears. And um, I had to like really get real. That took a long time to really figure out what was driving me and then like working down the, the core essence of that to really know why these things happen or why I perceive things the, for, the, for the way they are. Um, turns out it's not just spiders. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to give you the rest of my fear list. Thank you. But um, um, maybe in the parking lot for a price. <laughs> All right. Six and seven steps. Uh, there's a great book uh, that we actually have. It's called Dropping the Rock. At the end of the day, it's great that we like know about our defects of characters. We know about our fears. We're not going to get rid of them, a.k.a. me, for 15 years. You know, what's the point? You know, it's all lip service. I could, I could sound good in meetings, you know, maybe not this one, but other ones. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound good. I want to feel good. 
You know, I want to feel good when I'm outside these doors. So like getting rid of those things is necessary. But I also have to realize that those defects of character, much like my alcoholism, I can't do it alone. I cannot. I, I'd like to think I can, and I'm going to keep check of this and I'll analyze that and try like, you know, put this particular one up on the mirror. I'm going to really try to be this guy today. And it doesn't work out. I need God to help me really, like, take these things away from me. And I have to get right with that. Um, okay. So also, and this is kind of high temp. Um, there's this book that we read, greatest thing in the world. Hated this thing. Um, we read it in the, dis uh, the, in the disapproved literature meeting. However, there's a page in it that speaks to traits that you want to emulate. And it talks about being patient, kind, generous, humble, courteous, unselfish, guilelessness, how to look that one up, um, good tempered and sincere. I love that because I can't just keep on running away from my defects of character. I need something to run towards. I can't look at the darkness all the time. And the guy gets kind of morose. So I want something positive. So if I try to emulate those things, chances are I'm not gonna be so far in my defect. And I'm really happy that we read this. So thanks for bringing this to my attention. Still don't like the book. <laughs> um, eight to nine steps. At the end of the day, I had to be accountable. I know they say being responsible, but accountable for me seems to work a little bit better in my verbiage because if I'm not gonna be willing to actually apologize for all the transgressions that I've had, but I actually fix who I'm going to be and then actually never relive those same mistakes in the future. I'm again, giving this whole thing lip service. I don't want to say sorry twice. Just once is enough for me. I'm way too ego driven. They swallow a pill twice. And um, I, that's just my mantra when it comes to that. I'm not saying I'm perfect in any way, just mildly. Um, okay. 10 step. This is all about discipline. Discipline, discipline, um, to like reflect on the day. Um, that 12 step throws in that little line, at the end, those crafty devils. Practice these principles in all our affairs. All our affairs, all, the hell. <laughs> it's a lot of affairs. <laughs> and like, you know, quite honestly, I have to take stock of how my day went. And there's a lot of times I have to like say, like I didn't do this great and I didn't do that great. And I have to, sometimes I actually have to, again, be accountable and make amends just on that review. Um, I do one other thing for myself, though. I also kind of like write down some stuff I did right because, you know, I think it's necessary. Just this is, this is Chris's program. Um, I just wanted to throw some affirmations in there because you know, a lot of times it's, they talk about progress, not perfection. And I need to know that I'm making progress, even when I don't feel like I am. I, my, my experience over the last, you know, 20 something years is that, you know, when I don't th think I'm making progress is probably when I'm making the most progress, especially if I'm in it and I'm trying to make something happen and I'm doing it with earnest and I'm doing it through with God on my side. Um, I might not be getting all the cash and prizes I want, but chances are I'm changing who I am inside. And that's really the goal here. Um, 11 step. <laughs> my sponsor helped me out with this one. <laughs> He goes, you need to build a relationship with God. I'm like, what do you mean by that? He goes, figure it out. I'm like, thanks, really helpful. 
So what I did, because I'm a lunatic and I own a phone and I'm a project manager, I put on my phone on my task list, get, get, have a relationship with God, and it pops up on my phone every four hours, every day for the last year and a half. And what I do is either pray and or meditate at that point. And it's made it absolutely like life-changing, like, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it. I'm just, I, I don't know why it works because it was lip service in the beginning. And then it became something I, I could say with earnest. And now if I don't do it, I feel like, uh-oh, that old sinful God's going to come after me. But at the end of the day, I just feel like I'm out of touch. I'm out of alignment. And I don't like that feeling anymore. Um, as far as meditation, I'm just a novice at it. Like, this is one of the things where I've always struggled with it because I can't shut my mind off. Um, but someone told me, stop judging yourself and just keep practicing it. And then there was a, a number of other books I read. And that one thing that really stuck with me is try to stop having specific expectations of what this is going to bring into your life. That made a huge difference for me. And now I'm this Zen master. Um, <laughs> and a 12 step service. Um, I've been lucky enough to get some sponsees. And, but I, you know, this is where I hope I don't annoy anyone with my saying this. Um, I do what, what I'm comfortable with and what I'm slightly uncomfortable doing. I don't do things that make me truly, truly, truly uncomfortable or make me resentful. Um, the reason I do that is because I have to know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And um, so there will be no GSRing in my near future. Um, you know, but however, there's no shortage of things that I could be doing, like picking up people, talking to people, making phone calls, speaking at meetings for 40 minutes and blowing your minds. Um, you know, I do panels. Uh, you know, these are things that keep me in, in, involved. Um, and I'll just end with this, you know, gratitude. I've never seen a grateful person drink. I just haven't. I've also never seen a person like, you know, a lot of times I've been worried that I'm just going to drink out of, out, of, out of nowhere. I've never been tackled and forced to drink in my life. It just never happens. I wanted to have that happen when I was in college, but it never happened. Um, I have to realize that... And I, every day when I wake up, I have a winning lotto ticket and I get to cash it in that day, but I have to cash it in. I have to, I have to cash it in. And it just requires a little bit of maintenance, a little bit of effort on my part. You know, I have to realize that obstacles are going to come my way. Things are going to happen. Things are not always going to go Chris's way. But when it comes to the third step, the one big thing that was very important for me to realize is God doesn't care if I get the promotion, doesn't care what money I have, what girl I'm hooking up with, or, you know, or girls. Um, <laughs> it doesn't care about a lot of the crap that I care about. What it cares about is that I build character and I do what's right. And for that, God's an endless source of energy. That's where God cares. That's my thought on this thing. Again, not starting a religion, but it's just kind of like where I landed on this. It's about building character and being having an integrity and then living those nine love you know, elements every day. So with that, I just want to thank everyone here for taking time out to listen to me blabber. And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your evening.